Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with David Drabin. People are generally at war with themselves and they're scared to show who they really are. I have no problem showing who I really am. And, and who I really am and the, the art that I make are not always the same person. I created a character who created those, those images on my website, whether they're photographs or neons or diamond dust prints or lenticulars. I created a person called daviddrebin.com, but I'm actually David. Hi there, and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and every week I speak with incredible people who share their stories and their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing your expertise, intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to the show, then while you still have your device in your hand, then hit subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you are a regular listener, then consider sharing the show with just one person. It's the very best way you can help the show grow and help me reach more people. If you are listening on YouTube, then take a moment to subscribe and relax knowing you're the best. So this week, my guest has me unusually excited. I speak to all kinds of interesting people all the time. But if there's one thing I love, it's not just being excited about the business, it's about being visually excited. And I'll tell you, David, my guest this week is David Drebin. I will introduce him. I'm going to introduce you like this, David. I walk past high street art shops and I walk through galleries and I go to art school degree shows and things like that. It's very rare I see even one piece of work that gets me excited. And it's an even rarer thing when I encounter an artist and I look at this and I think, you know what, this is awesome. It's exceptionally rare. So when I saw David's stuff come through, what it was exciting was the artwork. But what's equally exciting is the enthusiasm for the business side. But David, rather than me introduce you in my rather ham-fisted way, why don't you start? First of all, thank you very much for coming on the show. But start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what it is you actually do, and why, why I'm excited. My name is David Drebin, and I am currently on the 39th floor of my apartment in New York City, overlooking the most epic view of New York imaginable, where so much greatness has come to New York where they felt like they were crazy where they came from. But when they came to New York, they felt a sense of being accepted and very normal for their dreams. And that's how I felt in the early 90s when I moved to New York to be a photographer originally. And I was also working as a waiter. And I was very okay with working as a waiter at night making photographs during the day, living my dream in the early 90s, only to have evolved into who I am today, which is far greater than I ever expected, but in a very different way than I ever imagined. I'm, I'm glad you talked about the waiter thing, because it's very easy to look at people who who really represent excellence and in your situation it's, it's business excellence it's also creative excellence and to and for a lot of people they're not in that place and it's easy to assume that people like you just popped into the world fully formed and that's just often not the case but for so many people they see when things are really happening for somebody 
and they see where they are in their own situation, they think it's not well, it's not fair, or there's something different about them. I'm curious to know a little bit before we get into some of the really interesting stuff about how you do what you do currently. But maybe if we spend a little bit of time unpacking the journey to today rather than what's actually happening today. Sounds great. I'm ready for all your questions and nothing's out of balance. I'm ready. So you went to art school with lots of other people. And I, I, I live quite close to one of the, the world's big art schools. And there are thousands of students go through there every day. And one thing I know is that very few of them will end up doing the thing that drove them to art school. They'll often get diverted into other occupations. But when I, I look at what you're doing, it's a very classic, what you would expect from somebody who went to an art school and then did really, really well. What, I guess, what were your biggest challenges and were you always really clear on the destination or was there, were there danger points where you might've got diverted into something else? This is a twofold question. So the second part of your question, which is about the destination, I had a vision for myself. The moment I found that I was interested in photography in the early nineties, when I was living in Vancouver, it was almost as though my entire life flashed in front of me. And I said to myself, where can I go? where there are the most opportunities, the biggest challenges, and it's the toughest place to make it. And that's when I realized it was going to be in New York City. So so for me, I always had this vision. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. And then I realized over time that there really is no there. So basically, I've realized that it's it's really about the journey and there there is no final destination. It's all about enjoying what you're doing. And for many years, I pretended that I was enjoying what I was really doing because I always loved making the art, but I didn't always love the business. And I thought to myself, how am I going to survive? Because I have a creative side, but I also have a business side. But when it came to art school, I felt as though a lot of kids just were lost and going to art school because they wanted to be cool and they wanted to be artists because it was cool. I never thought this was cool ever. I did this because I had so much to say. It was never about being cool. And then I even went back to Parsons and I did a talk to all these students and I left so uninspired because they just were there generally to be cool. And there were a lot of spoiled kids being taught by failed artists who needed a job. And so I look at Parsons today and they would never hire me as a teacher there because I don't have the MFA from Yale. But a lot of these teachers are actually failed artists. So if you can't, if you can't make it, then you better teach. Do you understand that concept? Oh yeah, I mean, this, do is, it, this is something may, you see may all as well, the time. May, may as well teach. If I can't make it, I may as well be a teacher. And so art school, I have very strong feelings about art school. They're extremely expensive and the branding is great, but it's just a money pit where a lot of spoiled kids go to do something with their time, but it's a lot of lost people trying to be cool. And, and the most important thing for me 
is that I never did this to be cool. I did this because I had so much to say and I was never good in school. And I knew I had a lot of passion for something. And once I sunk my teeth into this, I just couldn't, I just couldn't let go. It was like a dog with a bone. You just couldn't get the bone out of my mouth. It's just not possible, but I'm not sure what I'm chasing still today. So I'm, trying to love the process more than seeing the final results, which is a challenge. I absolutely love that. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, the, the not actually having a destination. But in your, in your journey between, I guess, graduating art school and really establishing yourself, were, were there any moments where you could have fallen off the track and ended up doing something else completely? Or were you always fairly single-minded? I never went to grad school. I went to Parsons School of Design and failure was just never an option for me. So I've had an unbelievable obsession since the early 90s with creating and marketing my creations and showing my creativity to the world and providing value to the world. And I've been rewarded for my obsession for so many years. I've never veered off the path, not even once. I know so many people every year, they're doing something new. I've been doing the same thing for at least 10,000 or more days. And a lot of people talk about 10,000 hours. For me, it's been 10,000 days or more. I think while the listener is listening, if you're, if you're listening in audio, if you're watching on YouTube, you can do the same thing, I guess. But go and check out David Drebin on Instagram because then it'll give you some great context for what you're actually listening to and the kind of work that we're talking about here. Um, but to get back into this, one of the things that I love that you said is that you had no destination. And I speak to people all the time, business owners, startups, authors, coaches, all different kinds of business owners. And one of the most paralyzing things consistently paralyzing is not having a unified theory of where I'm going. And I count myself as having been paralyzed by this in the past before, but where I eventually got, and this isn't, this isn't like decades ago, it's probably within the last 10 years is understanding that the future vision, the, the destination is a will of the wisp. It's constantly moving. Your job is just to keep moving towards it. You will never see it. It's never fully resolved for me personally. And to meet somebody who recognized that very early on is quite inspiring and affirming that I meet someone like you with an awesome body of work, 10 books and counting work in some very high profile places, but there was never a master plan. I love that. It's, it's so reaffirming to understand that the journey is the thing, which when you, when you hear about concepts like the hero's journey, we all hear these words, but we don't understand that the journey is the thing, not the destination. You slay the monsters, you have the side quests. Those are the thing. So this is really, really good. As you were moving through that, I think when I encounter you online, you appear very confident. And I think that's very much part of your persona. I'm Correct me if I'm wrong, but I am curious to know, and I think a lot of creatives will resonate with this. And I used to run what was essentially a creative agency. Uh, and I worked with lots of 
designers of lots of different flavors. But one of the most common stumbling blocks that people would experience was basic imposter syndrome or comparison. Has that ever featured and does it still feature in your life? Never. <laughs> because I am securely insecure and I have no problem admitting what my faults are. I have no problem admitting mistakes. I have no problem admitting that I'm sorry. I have no problem showing my vulnerability. And a lot of people fake who they are because they're scared of being judged for showing who they really are. And I think that what people don't show you is generally what's most interesting about them. And I guess another thing alongside this is most creatives are their own biggest critic. I know that we're again, working with many designers and it's something that I managed to get over myself is but once they've finished a piece of work, all they can see are the flaws. And I remember listening to Dave Roundtree, the drummer from Blur, and he was in a room, it was part of a documentary, and he was in a room full of his biggest fans. And the point of the documentary was they were going to talk about his work with him. And he admitted to them that he had never listened to a single album from the band because all he could hear were the problems. And these are genre-defining albums of the 20th century. Is that something that you ever experienced where you look at a piece of work and you can only see the, the problems? Or do you look at a piece of work and, and rub your hand and think, that's awesome? That's a very good question. What I've learned is that the photographs that I love the most may not be the ones that are the most embraced by the art collectors that we have all over the world. And the images that I don't have that much passion for seem to be the ones that art collectors really, really want to collect. And that's something that I really struggled with. It's like a chef who really wants to cook one thing, but the customer wants to eat something else. So he makes that dish for the customer because he has to actually survive. So I have a lot of passion for creativity. And sometimes I'm shocked that my most favorite images are just not in demand. And images that I just had no passion for are sell out very quickly and are in demand every day through galleries all over the world. So sometimes you have to think about what you can do for other people and what your value is for other people. And it may not always be what you think it's going to be. So I figured out the images that, that work for me that others may not love. And I figured out other images that people love that I create that just aren't really what I'm super passionate about. And that's life. You think the Rolling Stones really want to play Start Me Up? <laughs> every single concert they want to play the new songs but sometimes the viewer don't the audience don't want to hear the new songs they want to hear the old songs and that's another struggle for me is getting people to look at the new work they want to see the old work the classics they the audience want to hear the classic songs they don't always want to hear the new songs just look at musicians and and concerts they want to hear the classics so how do you balance your creative hunger to be doing the new and taking risks with the commercial demands of, well, we sold this really easily. So just give us more of this. I guess it's chasing the money versus chasing the craft. Well, for me, it's not chasing the money and it's not chasing the craft. I know, I know the difference between the two, but I'm kind of a very 
emotional, emotionless, emotional, emotionless person. And I'm constantly balancing being emotional and emotionless, being logical and being deep and being shallow and being deep and being shallow. And I'm constantly going back and forth between being emotional and being logical, being deep and being shallow. And it's a bit of an inner torture for me. So I have to be aware of when I'm being deep, when I'm being shallow, when I'm being emotional, when I'm being logical, because there's different times to be those different kinds of ways of being. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think a lot of the time, art and artists make assumptions about how they're supposed to be. And I think one of the things I like about you is you define who you are and your approach to the work quite differently from how I normally see it happen. And I think what I see in the work reflects that. And for the listener, the reason this is important is entrepreneurs often don't take risks with their personal brands, with what they put in front of customers. But mixing that up is really what will allow that differentiation to happen. Accepting what I love is securely insecure. That's one of the most important things I think I've heard in the last three months. Most people are not securely insecure. And if you tell somebody that you're securely insecure and you could ask me any question and nothing's off, nothing's off limits, it's amazing how other people will, will not be vulnerable in the same way. So I have no problem having a conversation with someone and saying, I will answer any question you have to ask me on any topic. Will you do the same? And it's amazing how so few people truly want to be vulnerable. And people like that desire what they resist and they resist what they desire. They want to be vulnerable, but they're scared to be vulnerable and they're scared to be vulnerable and they want to be vulnerable. People are generally at war with themselves and they're scared to show who they really are. I have no problem showing who I really am and and who I really am and the the art that I make are not always the same person. I created a character who created the, those images on my website, whether they're photographs or neons or diamond dust prints or lenticulars. I created a person called daviddreven.com, but I'm actually David. But people who meet me today see daviddreven.com. But people who knew me when I first started, they knew me as David. And I sometimes like David more than daviddreven.com. And there's a balance between David and daviddreven.com. So when I meet people, I think to myself, am I David or am I daviddreven.com? Are you going to see daviddreven.com or are you going to see David? And I know when to be David and I know when to be daviddreven.com. And that makes perfect sense for many reasons. And I, I, Because if you look through the body of work, there is a very particular character there. And I can tell speaking to you that daviddreben.com is creating a very particular persona in the world. And yeah, you know what? That's a, that's a, a rabbit hole I'm not going to go down because it could sound judgmental, but it really well, is. Judgmental in what way? <laughs> well, I think lots of your work could be considered a bit risque. And I think we all have aspects of us where that resonates. But I don't think any of us would want to be seen as wholly that. I think we all breathe into that from time to time, but we won't want to be considered as living in that all the time. You know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? I would never think, I would never 
think about my work or describe my work as risque. And I really don't even talk about what my work is to anybody ever. I let the viewer decide what they think it is. Mm. I discuss the process far more than I discuss the work because I think that my work is all about hidden desires that people secretly crave that they're often scared to actually pursue. And you absolutely nail it. When I say risque, I think because some of it could be described that way. It's not as you describe. I mean, this isn't an art show. So my vocabulary is not really built for this journey. So Dave, sorry, David. Well, I will tell you this, but I will tell you this. I used to think that people lied to me and then I didn't take things personally anymore. And I realized, you know what? People generally just lie to themselves. Mm. And once I made that switch, as opposed to, you know what? I think you're lying to me and turn that around to, you know, the biggest lies people tell are to themselves. And I think that's why if I bring it back to the sincerely the securely insecure for me even asking those questions trigger insecurity so when you're talking about a dialogue a securely insecure dialogue in two ways your secure insecurity needs to be met by somebody else's insecure secure insecurity in order to even have that conversation and i think i'm struggling if i'm honest well done there's a lot of your work that i absolutely love most of it. And the rest I like. <laughs> but one thing that stands out for me is your self-advocacy. A lot of artists starve because they don't have the confidence to even show their work, let alone really stand behind it and promote it. I'm curious to know from you what your position is on that. Many, any, any advice that you would maybe have for anybody listening who is insecure about showing their work, whatever form it takes, whether it's, it's a book, whether it's a business idea, whether it's simply social media content. Um, Can you hear me right now? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. So I don't think it's about people being insecure to show their work. I think people are insecure to show themselves. Mm. I believe deeply that Many people are saying to themselves on a daily basis in many interactions they have with other human beings, they are saying, what happens if they find out who I really am, what I really think about? So a lot of people pretend to be something that they're not. I'm a very positive person. I would consider myself a pessimistic optimist as opposed to an optimistic pessimist. So when I interact with people, I'm always looking at them from a compassionate, empathetic point of view, thinking what is important to this person and what are their intentions? And I find that a lot of people have a really difficult time being themselves in this crazy social media world of creating a character that they may not necessarily be. I have no problem admitting the character that I created, the artist who wears the hat, but that's not always who I really am. And the only reason why I wear a hat is so when I walk in the room, they go, there's the monkey. Oh, I mean, there's the artist. <laughs> it's like the monkey of the circus. 
And I prefer myself without a hat. And so often I, I, so often I, I see people and they're like, where's the hat? And my response is, I don't wear hats unless I'm at my exhibitions because it's just a uniform and a persona that I created. So people can go, look, there's the monkey. I mean, there's the artist. <laughs> I think I, I love that because, and I, I think for a lot of people, they don't really have this vehicle to carry their brand when they're feeling vulnerable. And by creating this externalized persona that you can step into and wear from time to time, it allows you to exist in a different way. It's, it's a difficult thing to describe. I think you put it far better than I can. But by playing the part rather than being the part makes it far easy for you, easier for you to be creative and to be to move that vehicle confidently around the world in a way that it wouldn't be if there was no buffer between you and everything else. It's just an alter ego that I created to protect myself yeah. because there's been so much rejection along the way. And sometimes the letters of rejection inspire me far more than all of my books combined that I've made because looking back the years of struggle strike me as the most beautiful. I love when people don't believe in me because I believe in me. And there are a lot of people who others believe in, but those people don't believe in themselves. I'm going to bet on myself every single time. I don't bet on other people. I bet on myself and I bet on the goal and I bet on the journey. And I try not to think about the destination. It's just what my purpose is. And I know that sounds really cliche, but in a way, I feel like I work for the universe and it'd be nice to take a few days off every once in a while. But the universe doesn't let me. So it seems like I work for myself, but I don't. I work for the universe and it'd be nice to take a day or two off, but it just won't let me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. And speaking of messengers, I think your work, it speaks volumes for you. I think I've rarely encountered work with as much enthusiasm, as much pop and sparkle, as much joy, if I'm honest. Joy is the word I'm really looking for. And when I see your work, it's work of a person that I would really like to know. And that's a very rare thing for me. So I guess on that note, it's probably a great place to bring things to a close. But what I will ask you is how aware are you of the emotional effect that you want to have when you're creating the work? Or how much is it simply a spontaneous outpouring of just what's happening. I, and I, again, alongside that, I have a more practical question, which is how long you normally spend on a single visual project? It's best for me when I make photographs or any other piece of art to let things flow naturally and not to analyze the situation too much. You just have to get all the right ingredients together and just make things happen without too much analysis just let things flow i think what's really it's like listening. going to the gym it's like yeah. going to the gym the hardest part about going to the gym is not your workout but walking through the front door it's the same thing with making art or writing songs or cooking a meal you just have to start and the hardest part is not doing it the hardest part is battling your imagination to even start and that's the biggest challenge that everyone has is starting. That's why it's hard sometimes waking up in the morning 
because it's really comfortable lying in your bed. Literally, laying in your bed is comfortable. And it, sometimes it's hard just to get up and get going and face the challenges of the day. It's easier to sleep than it is to be wide awake. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to bring things to an end because what you described there was perfectly prioritizing the important over the seemingly urgent. The biggest problem I experience is not people who don't know what to do, but it's people who won't do what they know they should be doing. And once you start, you have momentum. Momentum trumps everything. David, you have been an awesome guest. I need to ask you one more question. And it's what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? The one thing I do now that I wish I started not five years ago, but many years ago is enjoy the journey as opposed to always thinking about the destination because there is no there and enjoying the process and not being so hard on myself every single day, all day for so many years because it's grueling to be yourself sometimes in a hard, mean world. And I've learned how to not reject myself where for years I had a lot of confidence, but I always thought that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And now I realized I am where I'm supposed to be. And that's the answer to your question. And it was an awesome answer. David Drebin, this has been instructional, inspirational, and very entertaining. It's been a delight to meet you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.